Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. All right, you are listening to Nerdat Recaps, Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. I am Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita, and we are joined by Peter Segel. I have missed you so. <laughs> I truly have. It has been too long, it's this been long since, delay. It has been June. a very long delay. I know. I so missed this experience that I tried to uh, enlist my, and I hope you take this the right way, I, hope, I tried to enlist my dogs into recapping <laughs> television episodes with me. Uh-oh. Two dogs, and I said, okay. I said to one of the dogs, Dee Dee, I said, you have to know everything about this. Oh, okay? so that's Trisha. And then I turned to the other dog, <laughs> whose name is Dutchie, and I said, you have to just hate it. <laughs> good, it just, good. It just, you know, they just sat there looking at me dumbly. It wasn't the same. Well, Not if you want, pushback from I'll the turn pets. my head inquisitively <laughs> occasionally when you talk. That's that usually help? Greta's job. <laughs> what you talking about? Uh, okay, oh. so today we are talking about where we left off in season six in anticipation of the upcoming season seven, and we'll talk a little bit about predictions as well. It's also worth noting right off the bat that we're going to use a new hashtag this year. It's so exciting. It is very exciting. GOT Nerd Caps. So if you want to carry on the conversation on the Twitters with us or Instagram or whatever, use GOT Nerd Caps. Let's get it trending, kids. Is that what you're supposed to say at moments like that? Yeah, I think think you got it, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to speak like the youths. You this you yeah. did in our finale from last uh, season because you explained to Greta what shipping was. Oh yeah, I, totally oh, I remember that. that. Yes, yeah. that was exciting. Nor or does, nor does she have teenage daughters to ship is to speculate, postulate uh, romantic relationships between fictional characters. Has, yeah. that, has that enhanced your life in any way? It in abs- the of year? course, it has, Peter. Absolutely. Have you taken up shipping yourself? Ooh, no. Well, I know that you reread. Um, Harry Potter. I am rereading Harry Potter. I'm almost done with book six. Yes. And that, as you know, shipping, I think that is like the the ground zero for shipping. It's true. Harry and Ginny are finally together. It's very exciting. You saw that coming, didn't you? Is is it not true that Ginny says uh, at one point early on in her first introduction when she sees Harry, in the movies anyway, I'm going to marry him? Oh, I don't think that's in the books, but it's obvious that she likes him from the beginning. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to mention Harry Potter a little later. Good. Okay. Well, wrong series for the moment. Back to Westeros. Yes. Should we just start? Should I run through these? So what are we going to do first? Well, I figured we could start with Daenerys and just kind of go from so there. So we are going to establish where everybody was yep. when last we yep. checked. where we left off. Yeah. yeah, which was a long time ago. It was a long time More ago. More than a year was yeah. the finale of season A six. different world, I, know. I would say. <laughs> Gas was so much more expensive. <laughs> I know. That's pretty much the only thing that's changed. Uh-huh, if you think about it. like where we were mm-hmm. early summer of 2016 yeah. and now, pretty much uh, gas prices have gone yeah, down. Same Otherwise, deal. everything. Yeah, maybe Brexit or whatever, but yeah, beyond yeah, that. Something like that. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no other news. I think there's a new flavor of Oreos. <laughs> okay. Well, with that out of the way, <laughs> Daenerys is on her way to Westeros. She's got the dragons. Tyrion is her hand. She also has some Unsullied and Dothraki. Yes. and she's got everybody. The Martells and the Tyrells yes. and some Greyjoys. Yeah, well, what's interesting is they, I, I rewatched the last two episodes oh, of the good. last season, which was interesting. I'm glad someone did. Someone, someone has to, like, <laughs> keep up the standards right here. Um, and what was interesting was the, one, I think it's the final shot of the last episode, where basically you pan across her sailing army, and it's almost like just going down her inventory. And, and so here are the Dothraki and their horses in the holds. Here are the Unsullied all standing there. 
And I wonder, because everybody in this entire sequence of shots is standing on their ship facing directly forward, like like they're just watching. They're just standing they're there. Just standing there looking where they're going. And you wonder, are they going to do that the whole voyage? Because it's like three yeah, weeks. Are yeah. they just going to stand there and stare forward to the Dothraki, the Unsullied? Then you have the – you cut to um, – as you say, the command ship where there's Daenerys next to Tyrion, next to Varys, or Varys is right oh, behind right. them, which is weird because the last time we saw Varys is he, he was, was in back. Dorne, yeah. or as we might call it, the dry Iron Islands. <laughs> yes, as opposed to wet Dorne. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know how he got there, but it clearly, like, yes, he's part of, like, the inventory, so he's got to be there. And then, of course, finally— We have the internet, Peter. We have the internet have decided how Varys got oh, there. How did Varys Maybe get there? Maybe they can apparate. Varys can is a merman. Oh, right. No. This is a well-beloved you internet theory. It's a be very kidding. good meme. Much has been photoshopped. Is that why he wears, like, the long yes. flowing robes? Have you, you ever seen them? his feet? He picks them up, and there's, like— there's, like, He's a flippers. merman. That is hilarious. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. So anyway, that's where he is. So and then, you, of course, then you have the dragons. And the, yeah, dragons, of course, are the dragons are flying about. And the last shot, of course, is the dragons swooping up beyond the virtual camera because it's all CGI. And I'm also wondering, do the dragons fly the whole way? Do they ever get to land? Where do they land? On what ship gets the dragon? Ooh. Ooh. Poosh. They're now the size of 747s. Exactly. I don't so, think they need to land. Really? I mean, eventually, I'm sure, but they'll be fine for the voyage. They get tired, though. No, man. No, just no, they don't. No, 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 they're dragons. Do you know that all flying creatures, including birds, uh, given the chance, evolve away from flight because flight is so uh, energy expensive? Oh, that's why you have ostriches. It was like as soon as any you you isolate any bird from a predator and it will just evolve away from flight because flight is a very evolutionary, energy expensive evolutionary tactic. So the dragons have got to land and rest. Is Wait, what I'm ostriches saying. are better birds? Yeah, that's fascinating. Best ostriches that's are amazing. better birds. They seem like worse birds. Why don't they have arms? Well, that depends on your standard of bird, right? Okay. I mean, if your standard of bird is a sort of size standard and badasseriness, bird. ostriches are great. If your standard of bird is flitting about, yeah, they suck. <laughs> all arbitrary. You know, I recently heard a very interesting story on All Things Considered about how egg shape is determined by flight ability. Really? Yeah, it's fascinating. I I'll send you stuff. a link. That'd yeah, be it's great. great. We've okay. gone so far off the rails so far. I know. Get ready, everyone. I can't even Buckle see up. the rails. Whoa. I don't remember what, what rails, rails are. <laughs> Back to, so anyway. Okay. So yeah, so that's the end of the last season, and that's where everybody is, and they are heading toward Westeros. It's very exciting. Finally. Finally. It's about time. It certainly is. Okay, so Cersei has the crown. Yes. But she's not in good shape. Well, define good again. Once well, again, we talked about your standards. her kids are dead. That's true. And Moment Jamie... of silence for the worst king, King Tommen. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? I remember um, a lot of times during last season, I used to make fun of Tommen. i going, hello, I'm King oh, Tommen. Yeah. You my <laughs> and there was a moment, he doesn't speak a lot in the last two episodes, but one of the things he says, he makes this little speech and he says, we've decided there shall be no trial by combat. And literally, this is what he sounds like. We have decided <laughs> there shall be no trial by combat. So I was actually entirely accurate yep. in my mockery of him. Yep. Did that make you feel bad? It did a little bit. Yeah. But uh, it was also rather sad to see him to see him again yeah. leap from the parapet, yeah. which was sad. So, not good. So yes, all her three kids are dead. Somebody pointed out in uh, the one of these astoundingly obsessive recap videos, which make us look like amateurs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that uh, you, know, you may remember in the opening sequence of the final episode, uh, The Winds of Winter, uh, there's a long, long sequence of all the players in... King's Landing getting dressed and becoming appointed with their, you know, there's a shot of Jonathan Price as the, as the uh, High Sparrow putting on his, his, what would you call that, his shift? Yeah, his robe. I think shift is appropriate. Yeah. And then, his of course, there's people being uh, dressed, including Cersei. And somebody, again, the obsessive video recapper, pointed out that her style of dress is very reminiscent of none other than Tywin Lannister. 
with a very high uh, collar hmm, and the mm-hmm. sort of almost like martial shoulder pads. So yeah, so clearly that that was a signal. And by the time in the last shot of the episode, she is dressed that way. Yeah. With her kind of weird, again, military-looking... Armor-esque gown. Exactly, yeah. sitting on the throne. Armor-esque So gown. clearly that transformation of her has, was indicated mm-hmm. visually. Mm-hmm. And so if we head north... Yes. We have Zombie John. Zombie yep. John. Who's just in charge now, and it seems resigned to being in charge, because after winning the battle and... Yeah, he's running Ramsey, the show. He's yeah. running the show. He, he does seem ambivalent about it. Yeah. Again, yeah. having just watched the episode again last night, he seems like... I don't know about this. Remember, there's that argument with Sansa about who should get the Lord's Chamber, and he's not sure. Um, And even the scene where he is declared the King of the North, um, he is not all that into it. It is clear. He is ambivalent about it. Well, and it seems Sansa is ambivalent about it, too, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Sansa is ambivalent about a lot of things, which is strange considering her... Uh, newly found force of action, mm-hmm. but she mm-hmm. doesn't seem clear. I mean, th- there's there's no shot, for example, of either of them joining the cheers as the yeah. various right. uh, men and lords around them. Oh, I should just say men and, of course, the great Lady Mormont. Yes. Who has the best speech. I had forgotten about that. Our favorite. She is so awesome. I had remembered that she, uh, I remember, of course, her first appearance when they're trying to gather the army. And uh-huh. I remember when, you know, she appears at the parley before the Battle of the Bastards. But I did not remember that great speech she has where she stands up and shames the other lords. You know, you didn't show up for the battle. You didn't show up for the battle. But the House of Mormont stayed true, says the nine-year-old girl. And she is so great. So good. If she gets the Iron Throne, I'm cool with that. That that would totally be fine. So John is King of the North, but it's worth noting he only got it because of help from Knights of the Vale, right? Yes. Via Littlefinger, yes. which is potentially problematic looking yes, forward. Yes, it is. Because he's sitting there, and we also, of course, had that big moment where I think we, we talked about it in the last recap of the last episode, where finally Baelish says what he wants. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, watching that scene again, it's so clear that the writer is like, yes, this is a huge reveal. Because the speech is, I have always, every decision I have made. I'm going to try to do Baelish voice. Every decision I have made, it has been you can't blink, one vision in mind. I'm not blinking. My eyes are pinned open like Malcolm McDowell and Clockwork okay, good, Orange. Good. I have had one vision in mind, and that vision, if any decision I've made, would it make that vision more likely or less? And like, what's the vision? What's the vision? Come on, tell me. And finally he says, it is me on the Iron Throne next to you. And then he goes in for the creepiest, most unwelcome kiss I have ever seen. Yeah. And, and even her reaction is kind of ambiguous. And this is in the, in the land of where they're... I believe it's in the. It's set in the Godswood at Winterfell. Oh, okay. It's in the Godswood. Yes. For some reason, I was placing it in where they keep all the bodies. What is that called? Why can't I want to say the crypt. sept? The crypt. Yes. The crypt, not the sept, but the yeah, crypt. the crypt. Okay, but it wasn't in the crypt. It, it was in the, the crypt. It was I in the believe, Godswood. I believe. Okay. I believe. Okay. So, so, th- so now we know Peter Baelish has like laid his cards in the table, which yeah. he's never done before. Um, and somebody, I was reading uh, the New York Times, sort of. Bring us up to date, and they because the out paper so, of record has much pa- to say about Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, it's very interesting it how I'm much they have to say about they Game of really, Thrones. Really, basically, <laughs> the New York Times is like one third Game of Thrones, one third Hamilton, and one third the destruction of the Republic. That's uh-huh. basically yeah. all we got. Sounds about right. I know, but it pointed out something that I had forgotten. There's been so much that's happening that Peter Baelish was in fact the one responsible for not only uh, killing off King Joffrey, but also killing off uh, John Arryn which was the inciting event of the entire thing. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's why King Robert came north to uh, ask poor old dumb Ned Stark to be his hand because John Aaron suddenly died. 
And Peter Baelish did that. We forget that sometimes. Man, how bummed would you be if Peter Baelish ended up on the Iron Throne? It it would not be that satisfying. I think he's going to get to sit in it once and the dragon's just going to burn into a crisp in like a second. Like just for a moment he'll yeah. sit there? Yeah. yeah. Literally a second before he dies. Oh, I would watch that. I would so happily watch that. The Stark siblings are reconverging, mm-hmm. yes. it seems, because we have Arya back on the mainland. Yes. And the last we see of her, of course, is she uh, executes uh, Walder Frey. Walder Frey. The last thing I want you to see is a smark, a smark, a smark styling at you, <laughs> a stark smiling at you. And that's what she does. I, I wonder, not for the first time, what um, all of this uh, training and badassery is going to do to Arya's mind. Uh, you know what I thought about? I know this is a grim thing, but I thought about like the child soldiers of Africa, like what being trained to kill does to their minds. Because that's... Yeah, Arya, yeah. That, yeah. oh boy. Yeah, she's pretty vicious right she's now. She's been through a lot. You know, and she, and she just, and she just slices, she, she slashes his throat without even a, a grimace. It's like, ugh. Yeah, she's a little bit Dexter Morgany, I think, this season. It's oh, just the kill list and a lot of, you know, quiet murder. Be careful when she starts making breakfast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can put a little Dexter theme in there. Yeah, please. Bran is still north of the wall. Yes. And we think he's probably going to try to go south of the wall, but... Well, what's interesting, again, I hadn't, for, I hadn't remember this. You may remember that they were rescued after their horrific escape from oh, right, by... the forest by uh, Benjen Stark. Yeah. Now a kind of undead but still good character. Mostly dead, slightly alive. Exactly. Friendly only... Uncle Stark. What was the what was the phrase from uh, Princess Bride? He's only partly dead? He's mostly only dead, mostly slightly dead. alive. He's only mostly dead, slightly alive, yes. Um, thank you. Why did I ever? <laughs> yeah, man. You? Why did you question know. her? She <laughs> and, had it. And what happens is, is he brings them south after rescuing them with his flaming, whatever it is, mace. We had an argument about this. Oh with yeah, Not a it Morning wasn't star. flail. Flail. <laughs> thank you. I got so much flack for you getting <laughs> that wrong. <laughs> flail, flag. Stand down, tell Peter. You need to tell Peter that's not a mace. It's, it's a, a flail. flail. Exactly. Sorry, now person we know. who I'm doing an impression of. <laughs> <laughs> pretty accurate. Um, and he leaves them. He sort of takes. A brand who, remember, can't walk off his horse, and he puts him down next to a tree, and he says, well, good luck. He says, I can't, I can't get over the wall with you because the oh, wall right. has many spells, including the preventing the dead from uh, crossing it. Uh, and I'm dead, so I'm leaving. <laughs> and he leaves, leaving Bran, who is now a full-grown man. He's like over six feet, it seems, that actor, with a young woman and nothing. No horse. And they have a 700-foot ice wall to get over. And then the last thing that we see Bran do is, of course, he reaches up and touches the weirwood, which is, of course, his access to psychic past. Mm-hmm. And we finally go back and find out who Jon Snow is. Yes. And we learn, I didn't realize that we learned that at the very last moments of the very last episode. Of course. Of they season. held it until held it. the last possible yeah. moment that they yeah. could. So only he knows that. Nope. Only he knows that. Yeah. yeah Jon doesn't know that. Daenerys doesn't know that. Nobody knows that. Ned knows that. Ned's dead. Doesn't Littlefinger think he knows that? There oh, was yes. there was that hint. that happened in the in the crypt. Yep. Yes, that, that many many <laughs> yeah, episodes ago. He does ago. side eye yes. about Lyanna Stark. Yes, going like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. she was captured. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And let's not forget my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Sam has made it to the Citadel. He has. He's in the library. He's the last. Sam Gamgee. <laughs> Sam Gamgee. Might as well be. There is a <laughs> right? definite. Yeah, yeah. So that's where he is, and who else is there left? Oh, I think we just need a moment of silence for Hodor. 
Actually. Well, even though Hodor, of course, uh, disappeared three like three episodes. Like, yeah, but I mean, like, still, like, like yeah. you know, in terms of people who died in season six, like he's definitely who I'm the most upset. I about. know it was very sad to see him go. Yeah, especially now that you know who else is sad about it. Mira. Yeah, because she's got to carry she's John gotta, herself womp, with no horse womp. and nothing. How she get him over the wall? Here, oh, just, they'll figure it out. I'm not worried about gonna, them. She's going to, like, pull him over his shoulder and start climbing. Jeez. Uh, no. There are ways through the base of yeah, the wall. Yeah, they'll get through. I'm they'll not going to worry. I'm They're not going to climb it. Yeah. Okay, in a minute, we will give you some of our predictions of what's to come in Season 7. His daddy can't talk. Ooh, but ooh, look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Okay, so I actually did this thing where I pulled some clips from each of us from our last episode that we did. I would say this is just like my arbitrary selection of what I found to be the most fun things that each of us said in the last episode. So with that in mind, here you go. I think the ending, by the way, is going to be just like the ending of the Phantom Tollbooth where all the forces of knowledge gather together to fight the demons. It'll be very sweet. That is sweet. It is. I just thought we should reflect on that, that for a moment. I know. <laughs> it's well, also a moment of Greta being nice to Peter, which, <laughs> which feels like an weird. outlier. If it hadn't yeah, been captured on tape, no one would believe it. Uh, it that, you know, as, as sentimental as that sounded, um, I, it's still probably likely, you know, I mean, in the sense that uh, because it's so obvious that there's this evil force approaching from the north the demons, and in order to defeat them, all of the characters we've been watching are either going to have to line up or get out of the way. So it's not, I mean, if we end up with a huge battle scene. Which we will. Well, we are, eventually, although maybe this, I think there are battles to come before then. A huge battle scene of all all the characters we've been seeing, Dothraki. Um, armies of Westeros, the Knights of the Vale, the forces of Dorne, everybody lining up against uh, the, the uh, Knights King. Night King or Knights King? Night, Night King. King. Night King and his army of the undead. That would not be an unlikely outcome. But Although probably Milo and Tok, the dog who ticks, mm-hmm. will not be involved. Who yeah, knows? You never, you never know. They yeah, could man, pop up. It could happen. I know. So speaking of the forces of knowledge, yes. I think that's a good cue for mine. Which is this. I would like to put money down that Sam will save the day one way or another. He's going to find something in that library that's going to change the game. Right. You agreed with me. I did. (laughs) Weird, right? I I, I completely blocked out any memory of any comedy or kindness between us. This is possible. No, I mean, only, only because Sam has clearly become such a beloved and favorite character, although we know that doesn't mean anything in this show. It, se- it seems so strange that they would take all that time to send him to the library just to put him off the game board. Yeah, I love the idea that he'll discover something over there. And- Some weakness of the undead, perhaps, or of the of the uh, the, the uh, others. No, not the, they call them the White Walkers. I've been mm-hmm. reading the book again, too. So Also, let's not forget who makes these books and makes this show. Nerdy boys. Nerdy boys. And so who's actually probably going to save the day? They're nerdy. The nerdiest boy, boy of them yeah. all. Neville Longbottom. You know- you know, exactly. I never thought about that, or maybe I had thought about it, but you're absolutely right that that if you wanted to pick one character out of this whole thing who is most like its author, it is Sam. If you've ever seen or heard George R. R. Martin speak, he is Samuel Tarley. 
He is a big guy who spent a lot of time doing books and never been very good at anything uh, physical. The only thing that uh, George R. R. Martin does not have in common with Samuel Tarley is George R. R. Martin is a big football fan. Oh, interesting. So if uh, if Samuel mm-hmm. Tarley expressed, do they have any sports in Westeros? I think they just have toiling. <sighs> toiling. They have toiling battle and feasting. Well, yeah, they've got a... Uh, Reaving. They've got jousting. Yeah, jousting. I would say is sporting. Yeah. There's no, like, equivalent of, like... I mean, like, for example... Quidditch? The, no. No, nothing no, like Quidditch. No. Maybe they do things with heads and sticks. I wouldn't be surprised. You're, you're thinking like that game, like in the movie, The Man Who Would Be King, where they, they play soccer. Yeah. Polo, with, but it's a head yeah, in a bag. Yeah, that seems yeah, like I, something I could that would see happen. That. That, that the Duff like would do that. Game. It's good yeah. to put it in the bag, though. I feel like that's important. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's fun. So, Trisha, should we listen to your clip? Yeah, because mine is in direct conflict with Peter's. Is it? Mm-hmm. I mean, the one other area that we could go into, and the books I don't think have yet, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, but that the show certainly could, is that we could learn much more about the White Walkers. They could be, for lack of a better term, humanized. They may have you mean like goals. The, you mean like the, <laughs> they may have the, the, the Night King and his, right. his lieutenants? Right. So I just want to call a patriarchy jingle on myself for offering you the parenthetical that you may correct me (laughs) while saying something that I was pretty sure was right because I interneted it. Um, Stop it, Trisha. I also think that it's going to be a long slog with not a lot of stakes if the White Walkers are just zombie demons. I think we need them to have agency. We need to understand them. There needs to be a political element to what they're doing. Otherwise, I'm going to be bored maybe. Well, that's – you're actually bringing up something that we talked about in another context. Uh, Sort of the flip side of it is the great thing about Game of Thrones – we talked about this endlessly – is that there's no – as George R. R. Martin himself has said, there's no simple good versus simple evil. They're all people who have good and evil wrapped up in them, people who do good things for evil reasons, people who do evil things for good reasons. Except the White Walkers aren't people-y. And yet – we talked about that even with all that wonderful human complexity, which makes everything so interesting, we are ultimately moving toward the same kind of battle that ended the Lord of the Rings, the forces of humanity, good life versus the forces of mindless destruction and death. So my take on that was, well, in the end, it's high fantasy and that's where you go and that's the ultimate stakes, life versus death. And your take as well, in order to prevent that kind of black and white, we're going to humanize the White Walkers. But it is... It's hard to imagine a scene in which we, we somehow pan back. Maybe, maybe they, they, they take a, somebody prisoner and they take them back to their White Walker sort of palace and there's like a little Aww. White Walker mommy with a White Walker baby saying, we're just trying to make a life for our little horrible zombie demons. I'm not uh, saying they're more uh, interesting than the human characters, but part of the point of the show to me is that, like you said, all the humans are very flawed. Yes. And wouldn't it be interesting to end up siding with or being conflicted about siding with the White Walkers, who maybe are saving some other greater good by convincing the humans that they have to prepare for winter, that they have to – it's all a climate change analogy, right? Yeah. The whole thing. But it, they don't kill and eat the babies. They turn them into White Walkers. Right. They were made from men by the children of the forest. Yes. So at their core, it seems like maybe they have a Jason and the Argonauts zombie army, but that the White Walkers themselves – maybe are fully formed beings who have maybe something interesting to say in this next (laughs) however many episodes. I'm not saying I'm siding with the White Walkers yet, but I'm open to it. I think Benjen, the existence of Benjen in his current iteration, indicates that that could be a possibility. Yeah. But I do find it hard to picture that we're going to come to relate to the the White Walkers. The only thing, this is what puzzles me, is that, 
So George R. R. Martin, as we have talked about, created this very complex world, this very complete world, this world in which was a reaction to Tolkien's black and white. Great. We all know that. The very first moment in both the TV show and the books was an encounter with uh, a White Walker or an other, as they're called in the books. So clearly they were there from the beginning. He knew his whole plan, which seems to have been laid out really completely going back and watching some of the first episodes, which I did, included them. Like, he always knew that whatever else he was doing with the, with the good and bad and the, and the complex nature of human reality, those guys were waiting in the north. To what end? Uh, to bring it to a Tolkien-like conclusion or to do something like you said, to, to sort of completely subvert the whole notion of finding out, for example, to mix my fantasies, that the orcs are actually kind of decent types despite their large fangs. So, Peter, you mentioned that you watched the last couple of yeah, episodes. You I did. also mentioned that you watched the first Th- this couple is what, of this episodes. This is what I've been doing in preparation for this, is I watched the last two episodes of season six. Mm-hmm. I watched a couple more episodes from season one, and I, wa- I also started reading uh, the second book. <laughs> great, because great. we remember I'm something of a fam. Okay, and, well, that's and, good and, to know. And these are the things I picked up in no, certain, no uncertain order. First of all, uh, the Battle of the Bastards, the episode, the penultimate episode of last season, mm-hmm. is remains one of the greatest episodes of television I have ever seen. And it got better watching it a second time. I cannot think f- of a battle scene in any genre that is better than the Battle of the Bastards. Didn't you see it twice last year? I well? did. But still, I watched it again and, uh, and, and picked up more things. For example, you will never see a battle scene in which the physical development of what is going on is so clear. Even when part of what they do, and there's this, I didn't remember this, there's an amazing, I would say, 90 second shot, continuous shot, must have been done with a lot of CGI, of John in the middle of the battle. Mm -hmm. And it basically, it it, it begins as you think he's about to face down the entire army by himself, his own army gallops by him and chaos begins. And it's just him in the middle of this maelstrom. And it is an incredible sequence of just chaos and blood stuff happens so insanely quickly and yet it's all clear what's happening that he's surrounded by death and destruction and metal flying everywhere. Um, And then their predicament at the end as the Bolton shield wall comes, starts, and it's terrifying. Uh, It's just great. I also saw something that I had forgotten. We remember the scene in which Sansa, we talked about it, in which Sansa prior to the battle says to John. You don't understand. You have to be so careful. You can't do what he wants. Yeah. Don't do what Ramsay oh, wants. Right. Don't play his games. There yeah. are two things that I forgot about that scene. One at the beginning, one at the end. The, fir- the thing at the beginning is he- she says to him, oh, all of you men decided to have your council of war and you didn't talk to me, the woman who actually knows him. So yep. there's like an accusation oh, of right. sexism and patriarchy. If she had had a patriarchy jingle, she could have played it. <laughs> Let's play one for Jon Snow. Play one for Jon Snow. The patriarchy speaking, so ladies be quiet. Peter Sagal is the worst. And she's totally right. And then something I had totally forgotten. Not only does she predict what Ramsay is going to do, pointlessly because he doesn't listen to her. She also predicts that her their younger brother uh, is going to die. And she's and I had forgotten that. And she's exactly right. She says, "No, he's going to die. He's the last true-born male heir to, to uh, Winterfell. So of course he's going to go." His I, I'm forgetting his name. Rickon. Rickon. Rickon is going to die. Also, more praise. The sequence in which Rickon dies oh, is yeah, done oh, so incredibly well. If you if With you the have arrows, yes. <laughs> if you if you have no life like me, <laughs> go back and rewatch it yeah. because the way they edit it is you think he's safe. 
there's, you know, you watch he's running. You watch, I'm miming this as I do it. You watch uh, Ramsey firing his arrows. Sometimes it doesn't even look where he's firing. And then there's... I just really wish he had zigzagged. Serpentine, serpentine. Mm. Serpentine, young man. And then then as the music builds, you see um, uh, Rickon getting closer and closer to... um, John, and you see all of a sudden Ramsey narrowing his eyes, aiming carefully, holding back the bowstring as he takes more aim, letting it fly, and like, oh, the arrow's going to get him. No, no, it landed next to him. He missed. Yay, yay, yay. He's going to make it. And then right before he runs into his arm, poof. Yeah. So good. It's devastating. Such an amazing piece of filmmaking. Yay, guys. Two things I noticed, though, at the end. (laughs) Yes. Which is that the battle ends with they think, oh, we're in Winterfell. And we're safe, says Ramsay. We have Winterfell. And then the giant knocks the door down and they run in. Yeah. And the then giant. there's a battle. Oh, yeah, the giant. I remember the giant. And the giant dies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's, a very, uh, there's, a very, there's a very touching moment as John is looking at the giant and the giant looks at John and then the giant gets shot in the eye and dies. And it's yeah. really touching. One, one. The, the thing that doesn't make any sense is it's like all of a sudden the giant bursts in the door. It's a castle. There are guards on the walls. They would have seen the giant coming. True. All right. And true. here's the last thing. Maybe I'm he had mention. a really big invisibility cloak. There you are. The last thing, you may remember that all last season I was like, why doesn't Sansa tell John about the Knights of the Vale? Why doesn't uh-huh. Sansa tell John about the Knights of the Vale? There's even the moment in the beginning of that episode where Sansa's arguing, don't go, don't go into battle. We need more men. Yep. And John's like, this we is all the men we got. Men. <laughs> this is all the men we got. This is all we're ever going to get. This is it. And we got to do it. At which point Sansa could say, actually, but doesn't. And as I said, the entire reason for that is so you could have the big surprise uh, save. They're all about to be killed by the shield wall and the battle. It's going very, very, very badly. They're all being murdered. And the cavalry and, comes in. And you needed to preserve and the they surprise. they roll in. So how do we address that? Huge failure of actual characterization and motivation. Toward the end, one of their last conversations, it might even be the same conversation where they talk, have talk about who gets the Lord's Chamber. Sansa says, hey, I'm really sorry I didn't tell you about Baelish and the Knights of the Vale. At which point John should say, why didn't you? But instead he says, you know, what's really important it was that we all have to be in each other's side right now. We uh-huh. have an, and they embrace. And I'm like, come on. They hug it out. They hug it out. Jeez. It's important for the Starks to stick together, though. The last episode was also excellent in every regard. We've talked a little bit about it, about the dressing, about how everybody's <clears throat> organized. The, the, the sequence in which um, the episode begins before we get to uh, what happens in King's Landing with sort of tying up where we had left off um, over in Marine, which was the city was being attacked mm-hmm. by um, and all Dario's the masters. just... Oh, yeah, on his da- own now. Dar- well, that yeah, happens in this Dario. episode, the poor Dario breakup scene. Yeah. Um, We're going to miss Dario. And it was great. You are. <laughs> Only gonna Greta's going to miss Dario. <laughs> but it was also really interesting. I mean, it was all great. We know why we love the show. It was all great. It was also really interesting to go back and reread some of the, the second book and see some episodes in the first season. Two things. First of all, with the exception of Harry Potter, I cannot think of another popular entertainment in which you actually get to see real people grow up. Hmm. That's true. Right? Yeah. Harry Potter, the first movie, Daniel Radcliffe was, what, 11 or 12? By the end yeah. of the last, he was probably 19 or 21 because, of course... Boyhood all... with magic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really... And, and it was fascinating to see all those characters. Yeah, boyhood. All those, yeah, all those actors, not just characters, grow up. 
and it was really interesting. This is the same thing. You go back and there's uh, Arya. I can't think of their actress. Maisie Williams. Maisie Williams. She's a baby. Yeah. Uh, the actress who plays Sansa. What is her Sophie name? Turner. Sophie Turner, who said in an interview we shared today that she found out about oral sex. From reading a Game of Thrones script. Oh, right. my. She had no idea. Wow. That's how young oh. she was when this all began. That's such I love a weird the way she said it. it in the interview, too, because she went, oh, that's a thing people do? Fascinating. Yes. Like, just, <laughs> it wasn't her reaction like, eh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yep. Oh, but, that's a thing? And that's so she adorable. was really that young as a human being, as an actress. And But the difference between Harry Potter and this in this regard in is, addition to oral sex being in, in one series and not the other. In addition to oral sex being in one and not the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two differences. Unless, you, unless you go into some really dark areas of the internet, but don't do that. Uh-huh. Speaking um, of shipping. Is that the characters in Harry Potter really don't change very much at all. They're, 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 Harry is the same guy at the age of 12 as he is at the age of whatever he is in the last 17 in the last story. He's the same stalwart guy with the same doubts, same with Hermione, same with Draco, mm-hmm. same with Ron. These characters really, really change. That's true. While not losing their essential nature. For example, Sansa, who when we meet her is this sort of frivolous young woman who, who despises uh, everything, who, who's in love with Joffrey and thrilled with pageantry right. and romance. A moody teenage A moody, girl. yeah. Preteen even. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she, th- there, that person still exists by the end of season six. Radically changed, but yeah. it's the same person. Huh. And that's amazing. I cannot think of anything else like that ever, other than, as I said, Harry Potter, which which comes close. But mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that. With, that we're not, I've said this before, but if if this whole thing is about one thing, it's about parents and children and the yeah. effect of parents on children. In fact, there is a speech in the last episode where um, uh, Daenerys is talking to Arya. Not Arya. She's Arya in the book. She's um, uh, Asha. In the book, her Yara is her name in the TV show. <laughs> Yara and Theon, and she says to him, "says our our fa- we are the children of terrible fathers, yeah, and they made the world worse, and we're going to make the world better." Which is a nice thing to think, but speaking as someone who went from being a son to a father myself, it's harder than you imagine mm-hmm. to be the better person than your own parent than you think it might be, and that I think is if there's one central theme to this show, it is that written by a guy who has no children, hmm. and I think it's. One of those things that people assume is going to be easier, like you said, and then there's often overcorrecting. So whatever Daenerys thought was wrong with her father and that she would do differently, she's maybe going too far in the opposite direction. Right. And also it's all still wrapped up in the hubris of thinking that anyone ought to rule. That's the right. thing that sometimes I forget about this show and then I remember, which is I actually don't want any of them to be on the Iron Throne because probably nobody should be on the Iron Throne. There shouldn't be an Iron Throne. Yeah, yeah. which is a thought. And that's an, also an interesting thought when Peter Baelish says, I want to be in the Iron Throne. Why? Why would anybody want that job? Yeah. It hasn't really Oof. worked out for anybody who's had it for an awfully long time. This yeah. is why I think maybe Varys is my favorite character now. Why? Because I feel like he has been <laughs> working behind the scenes. Because he's a merman, <laughs> yeah. number one, most important. Yeah. <laughs> number two, it's because whereas Baelish seems to be self-interested in his behind-the-scenes power play, Varys, I get the sense, is actually trying to protect the realm. Whether he's successful or not is a different question, but since the early days with his little birds and with Daenerys and with everything he's done, it seems like he's trying to play the powerful, egotistical people who have access to power in ways that will result in peace and calmness, potentially, in the realm. And it's not his own self-interest. And it's not his own self-interest. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because he doesn't have a penis. 
So he doesn't oh, have Ayo. Ayo. Patriarchy jingle. <laughs> I'm just saying he is not driven by his own desire to procreate or to have power or to have a dynasty that is of his own biology. Or right. even and to like have wealth is. that can be inherited. Yeah. Yeah. And remember from the very beginning of both the books and the TV show, he was uh, agitating. He was conspiring, if you will, to uh, restore the Targaryens to the throne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that clearly... For peace. You, yes, for peace. For the realm, yes. as he likes to say. The only one who seems to be Leo McGarrying this... Maybe him and Dobby. <laughs> we always come back to that. <laughs> we always do. We always come Man, back to so that. so many good references. This, I know. I know. We've the, done the, very good work. Um, we were talking about, like, the fact that your nerds friends corrected us mm. on, like, it wasn't a morning flail. star, it was a flail. And that made me think, because I was like this. I was obsessed with... And not only, you know, I was obsessed with fantasy as a huge Tolkien nerd that takes place in a world which is essentially simple. And part of the simplicity is the way that they fight. Um, we'll put aside the whole Freudian issues of nerds, particularly male nerds, getting really obsessed with long-edged weapons. Mm-hmm. And we'll just yes, say, let's. let's, let's. But everything seems so much clearer when it's just guys with swords, good guys and bad guys about to have a sword fight. And that, I think, for nerds, I think one of the, what shall we say, distinguishing characteristics of we nerds, us nerds, is that we find the real world a little overwhelming in its complexities and we don't know how to manage it. And so therefore, we look at a world where everything is simpler and we imagine that we would do better in that world because it makes sense to us. I think, and we should go to voicemails in just a minute because some people have sent us their predictions and they're very good. But I would say to that point, nerds do that often with fantasy the culture around professional sports or college sports in particular, oh, sure. I yes. think, is serving right. the exact same role. Oh, there is for a huge, a huge swath of the population overlap between sports nerds and I think our nerds. people are just finding their way to watch people do battle, declare yes. a winner and a loser at the exactly. end, exactly because that sense of completion is not in the real world. I'm, I am also a baseball fan, and I have often thought about that very yeah. thing. That the great thing about baseball is you have winners and you have losers. It's very simple. There's this guy versus that guy. Who's going to win? There, there are numbers. <laughs> like yep. that guy won. There are a numbers. higher number than that guy. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Should we be giving scores to people in In a weird in way. We should talk about stats. We could have like a Game of Thrones <laughs> fantasy league where everybody gets to draft. In. <laughs> exactly. Everybody gets to draft their oh favorite God, characters. Yeah, that would be pretty mm-hmm. great. All right. In just a minute, we will listen to some voicemails and talk about what we have learned on the interwebs about what might happen in season seven. Okay, so let's take a listen to some of your dear listener predictions. Hi, I saw your tweet asking for suggestions and hopes and dreams for the upcoming season of your recap show. And I want to throw out the suggestions to this. Are there going to be any more books? I wonder about this because Germ being famously slow writing, or is it just that, that the, the the passion is gone because the story is being told on a TV show. Anyway, I look forward to your season coming up and everything else. Bye. Germ. Well, germ or Graham. Um, Trisha probably knows more than I do, but I'll go first. My understanding is that he's... Reverse in- patriarchy you jingle. Reverse patriarchy He still jingle. is going first. I don't know. <laughs> well, what man. I'm going to do is I'm going to say You know that, more, but he's going gonna first. Work. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to give Trisha the chance to correct me. Okay, that's so, better. That's a better way of putting that. It's a gift in a weird way. <laughs> The wisdom of the ages, wrapped up in the body of a short, bald game show host. 
You're <laughs> welcome. To. My understanding is that George R. R. Martin has been working on book uh, one, four, five, six, um, which is called The Winds of Winter for an awfully long time. Yes. And there was a thought that it would come out before last season that obviously hasn't happened. To my knowledge, there is no publication date of this book. I don't know that he has any incentive to do it. Yeah, I don't know that he does really either. I mean, he does. I will give him credit that he wrote a bunch of long books already, and he did it at a time when people weren't all clamoring for them. Mm -hmm. So he has an interest in this story that is separate from our interest in this story. I will give him that. That's true. But I do think that his role in the TV show and how well-received and how beloved the TV show is is probably taking the impulse away from doing it quickly, if at all. Yeah. I have a theory. What, Greta? He is going to see what happens in season seven on the HBO show. And if we all hate it, then he's going to write a different version no. and say that's what was supposed to happen. <gasps> uh, it's possible. Right? I, I think Trisha is right that it must be impossible to sit down and do what he did for the first, I guess, technically fi- uh, five books um, and just let his imagination go where he wanted it to go without in conversation and probably not to a good sense with the world. You know, because yeah. let's say, for example, um, that he did not like uh, some aspect of the TV show. Well, does he does he say, well, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do that. Or, or, or maybe he just like, well, they did that, so I'm not going to. Yeah. Like that's how the Battle of the Bastards worked out, but I'm going to do something totally different. How can he write clearly without being in reaction to? Did you ever – are you guys – I must have mentioned this before. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the book The Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I absolutely – You assigned that as homework. I did. And I absolutely loathe the sequel to it, which is called Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems, I mean, it's just, it's just awful in all the ways that Silence of Lambs is great. And one of the reasons, I think, is that Thomas Harris, the author, was reacting to the world, which had seen the movie and embraced this character and loved it so much. And he was like, well, you loved it so much, I'm going to screw with you. So, for example, most egregiously, he has... Clarice and Hannibal Lecter get together romantically in the book, which thank God they didn't do in the movie, which I've never seen. And that is such a screw you to his own fandom and to the world as a way of like saying, no, this is mine. And I can make them do whatever I want, no matter what you people want or think is right, because they're mine, even to the point of, uh, I won't say self-harm, but I'll say counterproductive. Yeah, I mean, that's cutting off your nose to spite yeah, your face. Yeah, it's, right? it's, it's, it's like, it's almost like, I mean, I, I often thought of it in the same way as like the ending of The Sopranos, mm. where it's like everybody's like, you all, you all know what's going to happen. You think you know, says uh, David Chase, who created that show. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm going to not do anything. I'm going to end it the way I want to end it, and I'm not going to give in to any of your theories, desires, or plans. And I think that must be overwhelming. How do you sit and write clearly and create clearly with all these expectations? Yeah, I can't imagine. I think also... I have a theory that the more successful authors become, sometimes, not always, the more freedom they're given and that freedom actually doesn't always make writing better. Good editing makes oh, writing better. Talk to Greta who just read yeah, book we five. Were, we were five. just talking about that in the context of The Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really true, especially with these long series, but even with people who are just doing successive works that are separate from each other, the thing that made them brilliant was in part – Speaking as an editor. They're editors. <laughs> oh, no question. Always. And yeah. so having a whole book where favorite characters don't appear at all because you're meandering, having a whole book where, you know, I mean, it's just no one can tell him no now. Yeah, well, that is And a, they really ought to because good writers need great editors. I stopped reading Stephen King around the time where it became clear no one was telling him no. And mm-hmm. you started getting these incredibly bloated books that had like a great book 
buried in there. inside there. Yeah. But yep. no one tells Stephen King, maybe you want to cut that chapter? Mm. And uh, that happened a little bit to J.K. Rowling. But let's give her credit in that she was dealing with the same thing. If I'm not mistaken, her... I don't remember the timing, but certainly the sixth and seventh books came out after the first movie. Right, yeah. they must have. So she clearly was able to keep to her vision and bring it to a tremendously satisfying conclusion yeah. despite it becoming, you know. What, what, what is that? There's a famous saying like it, it, it now it belongs to the world. That must be something that drives writers crazy to hear that about their work. Okay, Let's and do just one voicemail. more voicemail. Hi, this is Lydia in Los Angeles. I called like two days ago because I've been re-listening to the whole season six recap. Um, I'm also calling from the car, which makes for excellent radio. Thanks, I'm listening to 610 and thinking about Jamie and Cersei, that, um, I guess book readers, well, some book readers I know think that they sort of botched Jamie's character when he returned the first time and sort of raped Cersei near Joffrey's dead body. For sure did. Be that as it may. Um, He's really still on a road to redemption as much as he loves his family, and she's gone batshit crazy. And I think this echoes back to theories that the little brother that's going to kill her was never Tyrion, but it was Jamie. Uh, so I fully expect him to come back to King's Landing, rip her a new one, and then maybe stab her in the back if she starts going crazy. Anyway, uh, love you guys. Love anyway. <laughs> anyway, love you guys. Here, but that's okay. Love um, you too. Keep it up. Bye. Yeah, this is something we actually talked about yeah. a little bit last season as well, we re- is the prediction. We remember that Jamie has stabbed a crazy ruler in the back before. The Kingslayer will become the Queenslayer. Yeah. I believe mm-hmm. that this season. Absolutely. I also think it's worth clarifying that there's no sort of rape. There's rape yes. and not rape. There's consent or no consent. And Jamie raped Cersei. Right. Um, do you think that his character has been botched? Having not read the books, but only the internet ex- ex- extensively. Yes. <laughs> um. I think that there's still actually some interesting character growth to happen for Jamie. I feel like a lot of other folks are solidifying into who they are, right. have seen a lot of growth in them. But the fact that he lets Pod and Brienne go, the fact that he takes River Run without murdering everyone, yeah. he's not being very Lannister about it all. He's becoming his own man and making his own decisions now that his father is gone and now that his sister has gone round the bend right. to Crazy Town. I think he's got a killer. He's got potential to be a very interesting character this time around, I think. Jamie's, I hate to use this phrase, character arc was from somebody who, when we met him, was entirely consciousless, amoral, and utterly self, uh, self self-centered is not the right word. Uh, He was, he was uh, sufficient to himself. He didn't need anybody else. He had a sister and and nobody else mattered. You know, remember that Mm -hmm. early scene in the first season? Oh, he was brutal. Yeah, where he killed his own relative just as a plot to get out of the cage. He thought if he killed him, he'd get out. So he's dead, you know. Totally brutal. And remember, the first thing we see him do is throw Bran out the window. And his journey has been about, I hate to use that word, but his development has been about learning that other people matter and developing kind of feelings about other people, uh, most especially and importantly, Brienne. Yeah, And the last thing we see of Jamie in the books is that he's doing stuff very similar to what he's been doing in the TV show in terms of dealing with River Run and the Blackfish and all that. And then Brienne shows up and says, come with me. And he's like, yes. And he runs off with her. So the idea being that that is someone to whom he has loyalty, which is something he has never felt toward anyone but his sister in his whole life. 
And so we'll see, I guess, if that part of him continues to develop or if he just goes back, which seems unlikely given the way he looked at Cersei in that last shot, to just like you and me, Cersei, we shall rule the world together as Targaryen-like sister-brother kings. Ugh. Ugh. And it does seem to me that we'll see, I guess, is really the adequate conclusion. Adequate conclusion. I'm going to ask one last question. Too. Sure. Greta, are you excited about this? Are I you... am excited. You really? Know, actually, I watched the trailer recently yeah. and was like, oh, shit, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really a good TV series. It was pretty good. Do you want to talk about the trailer for just a minute? Because yeah. I know a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you've got some nothing, notes that I'm really, we haven't gotten I'm to. an old man, and I, don't, I, I, know, I know what my pleasures are. And one of them <laughs> are listening to Trisha dissect trailers. So yeah, please, Trisha, what do you got, lay it TV? on us. All right, so <clears throat> good people of the internet have screen capped and zoomed in and CSI'd good people of this the trailer. CSI'd. Yes, the verbs <laughs> to CSI. <laughs> So we know that Danny is heading to Dragonstone because Stannis is not there anymore. Yeah, and, there's, and there's a shot of her in front of the table. Indeed, the table, and we see it in the distance in one of the shots, which someone pointed out that Dragonstone is built on a deposit of obsidian, which is dragonglass, Ayo. which is going to come in handy because we must fight the White Walkers. Okay. Yes, Dragonstone cool. is a volcano. And, yeah. it, and it is defined that in book two because I just read that little bit. So it can be huh. a forge? Are we going towards Who some knows? sort of dragonglass forge? Hadn't thought of that. Because, yeah, we were worried the dragons might have to be working in the forge. <laughs> now also, I'm just picturing them singing like a Yeah, like a and I think that was something song. you mentioned in the last dragon episode, forge? actually. Because, yeah, if they have to work in the forge, Holy then they're not helpful <laughs> fighting. Yo. Okay, sorry. Go on, Trisha. <laughs> uh, Entertainment Weekly says that Game of oh, Thrones yeah. now holds a record because in one scene in this coming season... They set more stuntmen on fire for a single scene than oh, anyone ever shit. has in all of screen things. You mean that that's something that's like gossip from the set? Yeah. Like we had a shot where we set more stuntmen on fire than anybody else has ever had. That's amazing. Yeah, put it in the books. Put it in the I book. am excited. That, the person from the Guinness Book of World Records was there and was like, one, two, three, four, 17 people on fire, you win. Yeah, I guess that's how it happened. I don't know. I read a story in Time of a guy who visited the set and he said that when this big fight happens, yeah. the internet will melt. That was the language mm. he used. You're on great. That would not be a bad thing, by the way. If the internet were actually, yeah. Melt, well, might, all those I dudes might, on fire. I write more. I write. I might read more books if that yeah, happens. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> You're on Greyjoy. Yes, is the new baddie. For yes, this he has to. Yeah. We talked about. Yeah. I think one of you predicted that. I did. You, and, I, and I remember thinking then, and as I think now, you're right because they need a new, new baddie for the season yep. in the manner of the Thank Sopranos. Thank you. And the actor who is playing Euron, has said that he, this season, will make Ramsay look, quote, like a little kid. Ooh. Ooh. He's, 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 he's throwing it down. But kind of exciting. Uh, this is very exciting. Jim Broadbent, a.k.a. Horace Slugworth from the Harry Potter films, yes. is playing oh, so the Archmaester. Ma- I'm just going to say so many more things Oh, the Archmaester. He is truly one of the great actors yeah. in, I think, in the world. He's in so many great things. Like, he's in... Um, uh, Moulin Rouge yep. is fantastic. So I'm glad to hear it. That do we have? Be fam- he'll be fabulous. Do we have any word on Benedict Cumberbatch though? No sightings thus far. Ed okay. Sheeran is doing a cameo this season. <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah, Ed Sheeran the musician. Indeed, okay. because Maisie yeah, Williams that's likes right. him and he that. likes Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. In the trailer, we see a kiss between Yara Greyjoy and Ilaria Sand. Which oh. could be for love, could be for murder, could be for both. Yes. We remember how Hilaria <laughs> Sand likes to kill people. With her lips. Yes. But also, maybe they're just like into it. Yeah, you and never know. And maybe it's just I bet awesome. they're into it. Sometimes. Have we talked about Yara and Danny hooking up? You did. Yara tried. Oh, okay. And Danny was like, Good. I'm nah. glad I did. Yara, when did Yara try? 
Yara. Because I watched, I watched, of. I watched the the courtroom scene, the, the throne room scene, which I mentioned earlier. Like we are both children right, of right. fathers. I did not notice any sexual tension, but I am famously oblivious to that. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Uh, other things we should know, I think, are that. Hang on, let me find the one more. I just want to say that more. Trisha right now is reading from a little notebook yeah. in exactly the manner of Indiana Jones figuring out where to put the staff of Ra <laughs> in the map room in Raiders, and I love it. Oh, Peter, I wanted to ask you about this one, which is that we have a new character coming who is a Karstark, a woman who is Alice Karstark. Well, from I know the who books? the I know who the Karstarks are. The Karstarks were the family that was led by this guy who uh, Rob executed shortly before the Red Wedding. Oh, right. You may remember that this this lord had, um, this lord had uh, against Rob's orders, executed some Lannister captives. Because he went against his orders, Rob uh, cut off his head in the manner of his father doing it himself. And because of that, the Karstarks left Rob's army, leading him eventually on to defeat. And that was, that was echoed when one of the lords who uh, John was going around trying to get him to help, said, I'm not going to go with you. Rob killed my father. So that's all I know about Karstarks. All right, so well, we have Alice. a new female character in the North. Megan Parkinson is playing this role, mm-hmm. a new Karstark, who hopefully cool. will be somebody to be a badass, white yes. walker, fighting, awesome person. And uh, one of the creators of the show gave a little hint about how soon we might see Danny in Snow, Oh, by yeah. saying that she rides this mechanical bull-like thing whenever she's supposed to be riding a dragon. Yes. And he's like, she does this for hours and hours every day, and we throw fake snow at her face the whole day. And everybody was like, aha. Uh-huh. She's it was the, the first time she had I've, snow I, thrown I, I actually while, try right? to avoid this stuff because I'm like, I'm going to watch the TV show anyway. Why not be surprised? But um, I did happen to see a shot uh, like taken from like a drone, like somebody spying on the set. <laughs> Of uh, Daenerys walking, I'll use the act, I'll use the character names, walking next to Jon Snow as if in consultation. So I clearly think, they're going to meet. Okay. What else you got, Trisha? Is that, are I mean, those that's the main it. points? And just my one thing is that I think my shipping of Tormund, Giant Spain, and Brienne. Oh, good. I'm glad you're bringing that up. come to fruition. Okay. Good. That's Th- important. That the something love story has to of our time. Something has to happen. That is so awesome. Okay, so we want you also to join the conversation. Don't forget we have this fancy new hashtag that is GOT Nerdcaps. And Peter is at Peter Seigel on Twitter. Oh, yeah. We are at Nerd at Podcast. You can also call us and leave us a voicemail. That number is 312-948-4687. I also want to encourage folks on Sunday night after you've watched the oh, show, yes. if you have burning questions or reactions, Call us then, and mm-hmm. we will try to get some of those into the Monday morning show. Yeah, we, yeah. we're, we're yeah. taping these. The mo- we're, go- we're going to start taping these the Monday morning after the Sunday broadcast. So if you can get those questions in, we will try to address them on Monday. Exactly. You can find this online at wbez.org/nerdatrecaps. Thanks to Spork for Beans. Who good left one. Us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts that helps spread the good word about Spork this show. For Beans. Spork, Spork for beans. beans. Spork for number four. Number beans. four beans. Yeah. Okay. The show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull. Justin, do you, you have anything you want to add at this moment? You don't have a mic. You want my mic? The show sounds very grandiose. Justin has so, not seen just, Game of Thrones. You know what I think? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this to Justin right now. So we're gonna tell you what. We'll put it out to listeners. You think Justin should watch the episodes of season seven with us, or just start from the beginning and check in? 
I think what we should do is he should start with season seven and he should do like a 60 second recap at the top of the show. That's just like this guy did this thing with this person and I'm not sure who this person that would is, be but very they did this funny. thing too. And there's some dragons. And who the hell is that? Yeah. I think why that are there could so be pretty many naked fun, people? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I I'll think that's. That. I'll, write, uh, I'll write 60 seconds. Someday. Oh good. Justin says he's going to do that. <laughs> that should be very fun. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. and who has not approved any of this. <laughs> and our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. We're back, nerds. Winter is here. Yes. I'm glad to be facing it with you. (laughs) Yes. Oh, we should say real quick, thank you to the Lyric Opera. Oh, yes. Yes, Lyric Opera. So some, hopefully this will go up on uh, iTunes if by now, by the time you're listening to this. Is yeah. that what we hope? Yeah, that's, yeah, if they're listening, it's an iTunes, yeah, for sure. And they, and well, I mean, the image. Apple Podcasts. Oh, they, yes. And they will, they will, you will see why we are so grateful to the Lyric Opera. Yes. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.